0: Thank you, Donald, Denise, and Jamie Talent and all of God's people said. Amen. I know how I made it. I made it by grace. Dear hearts, you've made it this far in life by the grace of God, and you shall make it into the other world by the grace of God. And I wonder if when you step onto that golden shore, if God will let you just take one glimpse back, and take a sigh of relief and thank him again for his marvelous grace. I used to preach often from Luke 16, 19 to 31. I can quote the verses, but don't know at the times I've preached from that passage of scriptures. F.W. Borum put together a five-volume set of books called Life Verses. There's a verse, a group of verses that servants of the Lord, Moody and others, D.L. Moody, whoever it would be, They would always go back and preach from those verses because those verses were either preached when they were saved and meant much to them or the Lord had opened their eyes and hearts to that verse somewhere in the ministry and in life and it meant much to them. So they would be known to just go back and bore the people and preach the sermon over and again. I used to preach that passage quite often. There were some years I'd preach 30 plus revivals a year and for a few years I preached that passage in nearly every one of those revivals for several years. And I got to where I was preaching one night. And I got to wondering, Donald, about that old beggar named Lazarus. His body was full of sores. And he didn't have any friends. They were people that put him outside the rich man's gate. And he begged for the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. The Bible said more when the dogs came and licked his sores. But the pallbearers, God had, he didn't have any pallbearers, so uh, as a matter of fact, his body was probably taken out to the valley of Gehenna. It's where the garbage heap was. There's was always a fire licking and smoldering. They took the garbage from the city out there, and they'd take the bodies of animals and those that were, you might say, a blight on society, such as that poor beggar by the name of Lazarus. They just took him out there and slung his little old skinny body up on. The fire, God knew he didn't have any pallbearers, so he summoned the angels of God. And he said, give me six or seven of you. Come here. Yeah, he said, now that old boy right there, according to the way I got it figured, he's going to draw his last breath in a few seconds. It won't take you but just a little bit of time to get through the Milky Way and the universe to his side. You are his pallbearers. You're the best. I want you to go get my best. Bring him to me. I've often wondered, if you could have seen with the spiritual eye that day, if when that poor beggar, when the, the spirit separated from the body and the angels of God took him to Abraham's bosom, the Bible says, I've often wondered if he might have said, Would you just a moment? Maybe he'd have turned around looked behind him and said, Been some tough days. Goodbye, misery. Goodbye, grief. Goodbye, loneliness and rejection. Goodbye, solitude. Goodbye, hunger. Goodbye, poverty. Goodbye. So long, disease and pain. I just got a promotion. Then maybe he'd have said to the chief angel, drive the chariot now. I want to go see my Savior. I saw people from the front row to the back row either singing the song or weeping. Lair Winkler says, you've heard me quote him before, he says when we get to heaven, there's going to be two words at the end of our lips, blood and grace. It won't be your works, and it won't be your looks. Your works are sinful and unrighteous and wickedness. They are as filthy rags, the Bible says. Unclean. Best you got to offer is rejected before God. So you'll be bragging about blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. God has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There is but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Blood and grace. Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. Grace. Grace. Blood and grace. Blood and grace. I thank God for the blood of His darling Son. And I thank God for the grace, His marvelous grace. Turn in your Bibles, please, if you will, to Genesis chapter number 41. Genesis chapter number 41. We thank the Lord for all of our visitors um, in the service today. And Donald, Denise, and Jamie, thank you again for singing. Genesis chapter number 41. When we were going through, if if you preach, you know I'm a big proponent of expository preaching. That is verse by verse preaching. If you understand Nehemiah chapter number 8, that's where we have the best uh, teaching on homiletics, right? We're to read the text and give the sense of it. Make it known. Help us to understand it. Proclaim what's there if you if you're in the gospels, it's a little different. It looks a little different. If you're in the epistles, you can take your time and move in each section, do word studies and phrases and watch the context. In the Old Testament you're more narrative. And that's what we'll be. When we were in the book of Esther, I tried to take a chapter, which was a monumental feat, but we did it, didn't we? We took a chapter each Sunday, the book of Esther. And now in the book of Genesis, while looking at the life of Joseph, I've tried to take a chapter, but I'm not going to try to take a bite off a chapter today. Genesis 41. We'll be selective in our reading. As you find verse 1, would you stand? If you can and will, would you stand with us, please? I'm interested in Joseph, a man readied for a moment in time. Genesis... 41, beginning in verse number 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and behold, they came up out of the river, seven well-fed, well-favored, excuse me, kind and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears, and blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold... It was a dream, and it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. We dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man in Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dream he did interpret. Skipping down to verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Skipping to verse 25. The Bible says, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Joseph is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28 this is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Verses 38 and 39. The Bible says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art stop a reading there. Joseph, a man readied for a moment in time. Brother Jimmy Franklin, would you pray for us, please, sir? amen. This is our sixth message regarding the life of Joseph. Now, our last message we divided into two portions. This one we will do the same. In our first look at the life of Joseph, we look to Psalm number 105 and notice the overview of his life that The psalmist gave to us where God used Joseph in his life uh, to spare the nation of Israel and grow them into a mighty number of people. And so we talked about Joseph, a man with iron in his soul. God made great investment into the life of Joseph because he wants to make great investment into the lives of his chosen race of people, the Hebrew people. And God has invested in our lives in getting the gospel of his darling son to each of us. Joseph, a man with iron in his soul. We move then back over into the book of Genesis, Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. And we spoke of Joseph, a young man singled out. You'll remember we said at that point that Joseph is a young man who is God conscious. You don't find that in everybody's life, even church-going folk. A lot of times when the pieces of life seem to fall apart, we speak about everything except God. We look to everyone except God, not Joseph. He is aware of God and his presence and his working in his life. You remember we said he was singled out by the Holy Spirit. He was singled out by his father Jacob. He's singled out by his brothers He's singled out by God Himself. Then we looked at Genesis thirty-seven verses twelve to thirty-six, and we noticed Joseph, a young man hated. He's despised. He's rejected by his own brothers. He's a young man that is hated. In that message, among other things, Joseph is headed to see about the welfare of his brothers, and they said, "Behold, this dreamer cometh." That's not a that wasn't a phrase. Where they were complimenting him or trying to encourage him or desiring to be a blessing to him. It was sarcasm. It was spoken with scorn and hatred. As a matter of fact, that chapter says that they conspired against him. They first thought, let's kill him. That's what they said. But because of Reuben, the eldest, they determined that they'd throw him in a pit and they sell him off to a group of merchant men that sent it to Egypt to market some items and then go back home. And so they sell him into slavery. They slandered him. They disrespected him. They degraded him. They took his coat of many colors. Twice, one verse says it was his coat. They took something that belonged to him. It was precious to him. They hated it, but it meant something to him. They, They stripped him of it. They despised him in verse four, verse five, verse eight, verse nineteen, verse twenty, about seven different times over there in those verses, the Bible says they hated Joseph. Can you imagine hating your brother? Can you imagine hating your sister? They hated their brother, Joseph, a young man hated. They would later speak of the agony of Joseph. In chapter 42 and 21, where the Bible says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Their conscience, after all these years, still eats at them. What they did to their own blood brother. Um Nobody else knew, but they knew. The conscience is a powerful thing. Even beyond that, later on, you'll see their conscience will prick them. In Genesis 39, we noted Joseph, a young man, tested. He's put to the test. The favor of God is upon his life. We spoke of salvation that day. Potiphar's wife wanted a place in Joseph's life. She didn't belong. She would have been an interloper, and he would have been an interloper in her life. That's not right. It offended Joseph. We spoke of temptation. And then of course, we talked about how that false accusation led to wrongful imprisonment of Joseph. We spoke of discrimination. Sometimes you can do right, you can live right, you can be right. As best you can be, and still, there'd be discrimination exercised against you because... You're a Christian because of what you believe and how you believe, what you will and you will not do. Um, And then we talked about, of course, Joseph, a young man imprisoned out of Genesis 40. He's shut up to his circumstances. He cannot escape. He thinks maybe this is my chance when he's talking to the chief butler. But two years have passed, and nobody came to visit him even seems he's doomed, he's locked up, he's shut up, he's in, in prison to his circumstances. This morning and next Sunday morning, the Lord willing, I'm interested in Joseph, a young man readied for a moment in time. I'm going to speak under these three headings and try to cover two of them this morning. We'll touch on the two and then move into the third next Sunday, the Lord willing. I'm interested, first of all, in spans of time in Joseph's life. There's years involved in this. You say he's been forgotten. Yeah, by most, but God didn't forget him. Spans of time involved in Joseph's life. I'm interested, secondly, in a brief span of time in Pharaoh's life. There's only a night and a day involved here. It's amazing what God can do in a night, just one night. Or what God can do... And just one day. You don't ever know what a night may bring or a day may bring. We were in Esther. We tried to labor that in Esther chapter number 4. When Mordecai sent word through Hathak to Esther, For who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? God's brought you to this place, this day, for this time, for this purpose. He was saying in essence, Esther, you remember what I taught you in the home? He makes no mistake. And then I'm interested in a moment of time in Joseph's life. There are details involved. Joseph's life's many details, volumes have been written, still being written about these details to get him to hear where we find him in chapter number 41 of Genesis. I'm interested in these spans of time that's mentioned in chapter number 41. There are two different times, two different year frames that are mentioned in chapter number 41 of Genesis regarding Joseph and his life. Spans of time in Joseph's life. Years are put into the building of Joseph, the making of Joseph. And it's not so that he wasted on Joseph. It's so that he can minister to nations. It's so that he can minister to Jews. It's so that he can minister to Egyptians. It's so that he can minister to white people and black people and other people across the ages. Spans of time. You'll look at verse number 1. Moses, the penman of the book of Genesis, is careful to let us know two years have passed since our last scene in Joseph's life. Verse one says, "And it came to pass at the end of two full years." It's as though it's as though Moses is saying, "Yes, yes, yes, Holy Spirit, yeah, two years." Yes, and then the Spirit of God says, "No, Moses, no, not two years, two full years." Joseph has suffered for two. Put that in there, two full. It's as though he's saying two long years. Day and night for two years, week in and week out, 24 months of time, some sleepless nights. Uh, He still has fetters on his legs. He's not always fastened to the wall by his neck. But two years, these fetters have hurt him for two more years. You remember in chapter number 40, the butler and the baker were thrown in the prison with him in the same day. And the butler and the baker in the same night both have dreams. And then the next morning, Joseph, though he's been mistreated, he sees their countenance and he's concerned about them. And we made the statement, it costs nothing to be kind. It costs nothing to be a gentleman when you approach other people. It costs you nothing to conduct yourself like a lady. Uh, Joseph said, something's troubling you. I see it on your face. The story is, is written in your countenance. Something bothers you. What troubles you? And both of them said, we had dreams last night, and there's something about it doesn't sit right. There's more to it than just a dream in the night. And he says, okay, you both dreamed a dream last night. Tell, tell me your dream. And so he starts with the butler, and the butler says, and he says, ah, dreams belong to God. Joseph still believed God after all those years. Still believed in dreams. He said, this is interpretation of the dream in three days don't know all the circumstances but three days mark them off three 24 hour periods three days just like in the days of creation three 24 hour days days uh, three days they're going to come get you out of here you're going to be restored to your butlership you'll be a cupbearer again and not just a cupbearer but you'll be the chief cupbearer again the chief butler you'll press the grapes put them in the Goblet, and you'll hand it to the king of Egypt. The baker liked that. He said, well, here's my dream. And he had enough integrity about him. He said, here's the interpretation of your dream. And he didn't bat an eye. He said, in three days, you're going to be set free. But they're going to cut your head from your body and nail your body to a tree. And the fowls of the air are going to eat the flesh, pick the flesh from your skeletal remains. And so he shares that. That's where we left off, remember? And he asked the butler, he said, remember me. He said, I was stolen away from my people. I'm here, and I'm not even supposed to be here. I've done nothing wrong. So it's been two years, two years since our last look into his life. Joseph's been forgotten by the chief butler. Verse 23 of the last chapter says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph but forget him? Let me revisit where we left off last week. I'll only do it briefly. But let me do say another word, if I may, about Joseph's feelings or the pain in Joseph's life. You remember chapter number 39? I almost look back over there. But over and again, the Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord and the blessings of the Lord. God blessed people because Joseph was in their life The favor of God is upon Joseph's life, but that does not exempt him from two things. Number one, it does not exempt him from his own personal responsibility to do right, nor does it exempt him from pain and suffering. We spoke not only about Joseph's feelings or the pain in Joseph's life, but Joseph's faithfulness or his perseverance displayed throughout his life. Faithful living is made to be a very simplistic thing in Baptist pulpits. And it is a simplistic principle, but it is yet a profound principle. Faithful living sometimes calls upon us to to live our lives when it's incredibly difficult to do so. When it is remarkably painful to do so. When it is almost inconceivable... To do so because of rejection experienced in our lives. And yet Joseph's future is in the hands of God. Two things we mentioned. I'll mention a third one. Didn't get get to it last week. But as we were closing last week, three things let me mention to you. First of all, God's not forgotten about Joseph. He knows right where he's at. Number two, God has not forgotten nor forsaken Joseph. And he ain't finished with him yet either. Thirteen years since he's been sold as a slave. We didn't read it. But look at verse 46 of our chapter today. Thirteen years have come and gone. Thirteen years. Uh, I, I'm a cancer survivor. 2007, I was told I was in remission. Fourteen years. It's hard to believe that time has passed off the calendar. That's a lot of water on the bridge. it has been a lot of experiences through the years since. 14 years. 13 years they tied him to the back of a caravan, and he walked barefooted with probably something akin to a loincloth that would have been worn by a slave. Slaves would have walked while the rest of the caravan would have ridden either on a wagon or upon a beast that would have carried them. And he walks in the hot sand Until they get him to Egypt. Look at verse 46. The Bible says, And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He was 17 when he was sold. Now he's 30. He's 30. 13 long years. He's 30 years old now. He's been forgotten by a lot of people. His brothers have long forgotten about him. They're not worried about him. The Ishmaelites, I'm sure he begged them and they heard him cry and say, I'm not a slave, they had no right to sell me, I'm their brother. He begged to be turned loose, they've long since forgotten him. Potiphar's wife has long since forgotten him. As I mentioned a moment or two ago, he's not been forgotten by God. You may feel somewhat akin to Joseph this morning. Take cheer. If you know Jesus Christ in the free pardon of sin, God the Father has not forgotten you. God the Son has not forgotten you. God the Holy Ghost, he has not forgotten you, dear heart. Blessed memory of the mind of God. He has not forgotten his own. Take cheer, dear heart. God knoweth his own. I was in a camp meeting in 2008. Had no idea I'd been invited by a friend to go over south of Coleman, Alabama. And Brother Mike Raglin—you've heard me tell this a few years back—but Brother Mike Raglin is the moderator of that meeting. He's a personal friend, and uh, it got kind of out of the banks in that service—the first service I was in—in a morning service. And um, little did I know I'd preach the next morning a message God put in my heart at the graveside of my. Of, of my mother, and, and, uh, but, uh, but it kind of got out of the banks. And here comes Brother Mike from across one side of the, uh, the, the place, and, and he comes right where I am in the third row, four rows of pews or seats actually, In the third row on the end, I didn't know that uh, anybody other than my personal friend knew my name. Here comes Brother Mike Ragland trotting over with tears running down his face. He said, cheer on, Brother Kevin. We've been praying for you for some time now. Cheer on, dear brother. I want to tell you, when the devil gets you to yourself like he did Elijah and like he did Jonah and like he did Eve, he specializes in that, that thing of singling us out. You remind the devil, God the Father knows me. God the Son knows me. God the Holy Ghost knows me. My own mother may forget me, but God remembers who I am. The Bible says in the Old Testament, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord. The Bible says about Agrippa in Acts chapter number 26, the apostle Paul, the great apostle, he, the great theologian, stands there before this heathen king. He said, I think myself happy today, O king, to stand before thee. He said, it's not hard to be a Christian today. I wonder if he stopped and said, could I sing you a hymn? He did say, I want to testify, because he gave him his testimony. Joseph has not been forgotten by God. Joseph still believes God. He still believes in his dreams. For Joseph to be in the prison house of the captain of the guard was a life sentence. Unless the king sent for you. He thought he'd get out. He thought, he thought my dreams. I, God gave me these two dreams. The sun, the moon, the star is going to bow down to me. That's my mama. That's my daddy. That's my brother's. The 11 sheaves bowed down before my sheaves. That's all 11, all 10 of my half-brothers and my full half brother, Benjamin. One day, I believe you, God. I just I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I believe you. And he thought that day he interpreted the dream for the butler. This is it. This is how I get out. He said, put in a good word for me. I've been good to you. Be good to me. I showed you favor. Show me a favor. But it hadn't happened that way. It hadn't happened that way. All Joseph had was the promises God had made to his family in those two dreams. It's all he's got. And I want to remind us of something today. I know we neglect our Bibles. You don't have to say amen and tell on yourself. But you know we got more to live on today than Joseph had. We've got 66 books to live our lives by. All Joseph had was the promises God gave to his great-grandfather Abraham and two dreams. And he trusted him. He trusted God through it all. Spans of time in Joseph's life, two years since our last look in his life, that's pointed out in verse number one. It's been 13 years since he's sold into slavery that's pointed out in verse number 46 because he's now 30 years old 13 years have passed secondly spans of time in Joseph's life there are years involved what an investment god makes in Joseph's life you might wonder what in the world what in the world's god doing in my life Well, you may be here lost today, and God saw to it you would get here so that you could hear the glorious gospel of our blessed God, how that God sent his only begotten Son into this world to die upon the cross of Calvary to shed pure, innocent blood to cover our sins, so that if you'll come to faith in Christ, when he sees you, he'll see not you but his own Son. We stand in Christ. Amen, child of God. We stand in Christ. He has died for our sins. You say, Preacher, how did I get in on that? You've got to come and trust Christ. Repentance and faith are twins that are exercised in that moment of time. You turn from yourself. You turn from your sin. And you turn to Christ. And you embrace him. And we make that difficult, but it's that easy. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come unto me. Look unto me, all ye lands. Come unto me and be saved. Secondly, a brief span of time in Pharaoh's life. There's a night and a day involved in this part of the story. Verses 1 through 7, there's a night that is filled with dreams. A night that is filled with dreams, verses 1 through 7. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. I want you to notice that Pharaoh goes to sleep at night, and he dreams in verses 1 to 4, the first of two dreams, verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and behold, they came up out of the river, seven well-favored kind, of course, that's cattle, and flat fleshed, fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke. Here's his dream. It happens in this stage. In these stages, there's seven well-fed cattle come up now, out of the river, they feed in the meadow pasture area. And then, after they're standing, they're grazing. There are seven lean cattle come up out of the river. And they stand beside the well fed cattle. And of course, in the dream, uh, the lean fleshed cattle are going to, uh, they're going to, those that are ill favored and lean fleshed kind. The Bible says they did eat up the well favored and fat kind, the ill favored. Once they consume those that are fat-fleshed, they're none the fatter for eating up the well-fed cattle. Verse number four says, so Pharaoh awoke. So the first of his two dreams, there's a night filled with dreams for Pharaoh. The first of his two dreams has to do with cattle. Seven cattle, remarkable cattle come up out of the river, perhaps in his mind. He's in the uh, Nile River basin. Maybe it's the Nile River that he sees them coming up out of. He's in the He's in the delta region of Egypt. He's in the Nile Basin. Then he sees them come up. There's there's cattle land for them to graze, and they're grazing. And in his mind, as king of Egypt, he's well pleased with this. And then there are seven that are lean, sickly, poorly. Come up, stand among the seven, and those seven eat those that are well favored. Pharaoh goes back to sleep in this night, verses 5 to 7. You'll notice he goes back to sleep and he dreams the second of his two dreams, verses 5 to 7. And he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up uh, up upon one stalk, rank and good. And, And behold, seven thin ears blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was... It was a dream. It was a dream. The seven thin ears consume the seven full ears. A night filled with dreams will be followed by a day seeking answers, verses 8 to 13. Uh, You'll notice with me in these verses, verses 8 to 13, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. He couldn't let it go. Something significant to his two dreams. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward, in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker, he said, do you remember Pharaoh? Do you remember those days? He says, it goes on in verse number 11, and we dreamed a dream, and one night I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. He said, I, I remember now, uh, King. He, he says in verse number 12, and there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew, uh, servant to the captain of the guard, and and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dream. He did uh, He did interpret, verse 13 says, and it came to pass as he interpreted to us So it was uh, me he restored unto mine office, and him uh, he hanged. The chief butler, he says, I I, I remember. This has jarred my my memory. You're dreaming. I'm going to ask you a question. Is the chief butler to be blamed for forgetting Joseph? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. It could be that God struck from his memory what Joseph had done for him. God's still working on Joseph, you know. He can't come to second in command just yet. God needed to put him through two more years of school. There's some dross needed to be withdrawn from his life. There's some, there's some things needed to be removed. God is still... God's still working on his life. What we like to say is Joseph's been forgotten, but really he's not been forgotten. As I've already touched upon a couple of times in the service this morning, not on your life has he been forgotten. God knows where he's at. God still has purpose for his life. God is doing a work in his life. As a matter of fact, God's taken a few things from his life. Go back to the previous chapter. Look at verse 15. When he spoke to the chief butler and he told him, he said, you believe your dream because... God's given it to you, and I believe it. And I'm so sure you're getting out. You speak, to, you speak to the king on my behalf. Verse 15 of the previous chapter, he said, For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the judgment. God's working in his heart and working in his life. It could be that you and I are facing what we face at times in our life because God is still working in our heart. He's still working in our life. Maybe it's feelings of resentment. Perhaps it's bitterness, envy, remorse. Those things in a whole catalog of other things will be hindrance to you, you know. You say, yeah, but I serve God carrying my baggage with me. You may do it, but you don't serve God the way you ought to serve him. You'll read the end of Ephesians chapter number four with feelings like those, harboring, harboring those feelings in your heart and your life. You grieve the Holy Spirit of God in your life. What could we be if we laid down our pet sins? It's the reason we hang on to all that, you know. They wronged us. They hurt us. They mistreated our child. They spoke when they didn't have all the facts. They were harsh. They were critical when they didn't understand my circumstances. The Bible says of Christ that when they reviled him, he reviled not again. God's been taking things from his life. According to chapter 40 and verse number 15, he's hanging on to a few things, right? He's got to tell his story. He's got to be heard. He's got to have the last word in his story of his life. Now, we'll go back and rehash it, but the last two Sundays, we looked at what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica when he told them that they are to study, to be quiet, to do their own business, mind their own business, and, and just walk on and let the world sail on by. God's working some of that out of Joseph. God's been taking things from his life. God's been adding things into his life, such as patience, grace, tenderness. It's a testimony of an old mother, and she was to bury a second child. Of course, she's well up in her years now, and she buried that child. And then come time for her funeral, and there was several of the mothers in the church come by and Said to the remaining children, said, you know, your mother said she had tender eyes. And, and said, when we were going through hard times as mothers, when we were going through hard times, you, you do know it was your mom we called on. We we all looked to your mom. And said, by the way, the tenderness, where'd she get that from? And the other children said, that's easy. Said, our brother, when he died, when he took sick, when he died, when just an infant So that was mom's favorite child. She grieved for years. So that's where God put tenderness into her. That's why mom was so compassionate. God's adding things to Joseph's life. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Here's how we know that. When given the opportunity to strike vengeance against his own brothers, he won't do it. It'll never even come up when given the the opportunity to seek out that Ishmaelite band that he begged to turn him loose, he'll never look for them. When given the opportunity to take Potiphar's wife to task and put her in prison, not a word is mentioned. God's taking some things. God's adding some things. A night filled with dreams, a day seeking answers, and then there's the command to bring Joseph, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says in Genesis 41, verses 14 and 15, the butler has all of a sudden he's remembered Joseph. Verse number 14, the Bible says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. I'm not going to preach this next phrase. And he shaved himself. I ain't preaching that phrase. He said, why are you looking at me like that? Because I want to. I got the floor right now. And changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. Verse 15 says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Listen to me just a second. Joseph was going to stand there as a man of character and integrity. And I've said to you in recent days that Joseph's going to put two countries on his shoulders, two nations on his shoulders, and walk them through seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. But he's going to take more nations than that. He's going to take the world on his shoulders. He's going to stand before Pharaoh and say, get on my back. How can he do that? Joseph, does that shake you up? Look at my hand. Joseph could say, I've been through so much hell. I've been drugged through it sideways twice. They wrote, this may scare you, but this don't scare me. I'm sleeping tonight. I've had my share of sleepless nights, tear-filled days. I've been homesick, missed my daddy. Wanted to know how my little brother was doing. I love my mama. She died giving birth to him. I've wanted to see the hillsides again. I've wanted to get out among the sheep. I've learned to live without it all. Here's the truth of the matter. Joseph couldn't have stood there in his daddy's favoritism. If Pharaoh had called him to come of summon him to stand before him and him wearing his coat of many colors... He couldn't have passed the test, could he? He needed that strip from him. God gets you ready to do something in your life, he'll demote you, is what he'll do. And he'll take you to school. I was listening to one preacher preach, I'm listening to several while going through this and just meditating. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm waiting till Saturday and what I've been meditating and scratching out, I just try to put it together and. But one man said his coat of many colors, him coming to check on his brothers and his coat of many colors would be the equivalent of our day to a family-owned business and the brothers are out working in construction. Joseph, being the next to the youngest, drives up in a white new Mercedes uh, wearing a fur coat full length. Joseph's not qualified yet. You couldn't have pulled him from Potiphar's house. Wearing that slave garment. He's not ready yet. You couldn't have plucked him fresh from his prison experience. When he's first put in there, he's not ready. He's been hanging on to those old stories. He's rehearsed them before the butler and the baker. He's not ready. You can almost see God open the oven door and say, No, leave him in there another two years. Let him suffer a while longer, and then he'll be ready. God's been working in Joseph's life to get him ready for a moment in time. And if he misses it in that moment of time, we all going to miss it. I think of, and I'm almost done, but I think of William Cooper's God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I think of the words of this song quite often. Of course, William Cooper, you would not have understood how God could have used his life. He is believed to be a manic depressive. John Newton was his pastor. John Newton is the writer of um, Amazing Grace and hundreds of other gospel hymns. Not only was Newton his pastor, but he became his good friend. William Cooper, pinned penned the words to God moves in a mysterious way. Here are the words to it. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. He's starting to make it plain now to Joseph. This is why. This is why. Joseph, when you thought the heavens were brass, this is why. Joseph, when they mocked you at home behind your daddy's back, this this is it. When for years Potiphar's wife tempted you sensually, this is why when she caught the opportune moment, no other men in the house, just you and her, and you got out, you ran, she lied about you, This, this is why. They hurt you, Joseph. Put you against the wall when they put you in the hole. This is why, Joe. You see it now? You had compassion on the butler and the baker, and then the butler, he forgot about you. And you cried again, Joseph. This is why. This is why. Truly, God works in mysterious ways as wonders to perform. I won't read them again, but we read verses 14 and 15. Joseph is retrieved from prison in verse number 14, and he readies himself. Verse number 15, Pharaoh confronts Joseph. And I'll close with verse number 16. There's a confession from Joseph. Look at verse number 16. Don't miss this confession here. And I'll close this chapter, our part of this chapter for today right here. Verse number 16, and Joseph answered Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh's told him in verse number, he's been sent for in 14. Verse number 15 Pharaoh says, I've dreamed. Nobody can interpret it. I've got all my stargazers. I've got all my wise men. Uh, you know, I've got all my soothsayers. They can't make heads or tails of my dreams. I heard about you. He's going to rehearse his dreams in just a moment. Verse number 16, here's his confession. The Bible says, And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He said, Pharaoh, it ain't me. I can't do a cotton-picking thing. He said, matter of fact, God chooses foolish things to confound the wise, base things. He said, matter of fact, let me tell you a little secret, Pharaoh. He said, my God, he, he's the God of the unlikely. He takes a bunch of misfits and does perfect things through them. He said, ain't me, Pharaoh, I can't do anything. <laughs> but he said, I'm going to tell you about God. I marvel at Joseph still believes God. I want to tell you something. Won't you listen to this preacher just a minute. We play games in the South. I've talked to Rod Mattoon a number of times, personal friend. He's in Springfield, Illinois. I've talked to him about church hopping and jumping. You know what I'm talking about? When everything's real good and over at First Baptist, everybody runs over there a little while. And the flame dies out and then what's well, flickering up down yonder at Schooner so we're going to run down at Schooner a little while. i talked to Brother Rod about that. And he said, you know where I am in Springfield, Illinois, we don't have that problem. And here's why. He said, not another Baptist church within 30 miles of us. Now, I want to tell you something. Bad things can happen to you. I'm not saying you can't get out of church. I'm not saying you can't miss the will of God and get out of the will of God. That's not what I am saying. But here's what I am saying. If you get sideways on God and you stay that way the rest of your life, I wondered whether or not you even know God. In case you didn't hear it, I'll say it again. If you get out of the will of God, and you live the rest of your days bitter and mad at God, blaming everybody else, I'm going to tell you who's to blame for the problems in your life. You look at them every morning in the mirror of your home. You probably don't know God. Now, I will say this, as far as church membership, I'm glad God brought me to Charity Baptist Church and my wife to Charity Baptist Church. And I am where I'm supposed to be. And I look about this church sanctuary, and I see other people that God has brought here in His good providence, and I'm glad God has brought you here, and God did that. If God hadn't talked you into it, probably somebody else would have talked you out of it. I'm glad that you're here. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning, but I am saying This little manby pamby religion we see today, you won't find anything akin to it in your Bible. Joseph still believes God. Still believes God. After all this time, through all the bitterness, all the mistreatment, through all the mockery, all the lies... Joseph's been forsaken. Think about it with me. Almost done. He's been sold into slavery, taken from his home, taken from his homeland, yet he still believes God. Taken from his family to be a stranger in a foreign land among a strange people, strange culture, strange diet, strange customs, foreign language. Listening to strange music would have been piped around the king's quarters, 24-7. Yet he still believes God. He was taken from his daddy's house and put in a dry cistern, a well, a pit. Sold to a trader's caravan. Put on an auction block. Sold to be a slave. Went from the slave market to Potiphar's house to fetters and irons. Put in the hole, the prison. That's what it means. The whole, having his hopes and his dreams dashed at every turn in his life, and yet Joseph still dares to believe God. You won't throw your songbook at me when I say this, will you? We talk about our little old trials, and if we'd be honest, spiritually, we can't find our back pocket with both hands. And we want to quit on God. Blame the church and everybody else. And here Joseph stands today and says, I dare to believe God. What about you today? The more I look at his life, I'm just like I was the more I looked at Esther's life. I can't clean off a place and start griping today. God's sure been good to me. And I'd venture to say he's been good to you. Let's stop there. Miss Angie, if you'll come to the piano. Donald, if you'll get us a hymn of invitation. If we can be of help, we're here. This is what this part of the invitation is for, this part of the service.